This is Brain Fuzz, the art, music, and culture podcast with Joe Camusa and Matthew White. In episode 16, Joe and Matthew discuss highlights from a Houston trip, symbology in the work of Sight Wombly and Jackson Pollock, and unveil an audio pick of the day. But first, is this a computer simulation? Did you read the New Yorker article, What Are the Odds We Are Living in a Computer Simulation? I did. Dated June 9th, 2016. I, and I reread it at your suggestion, and it frightened me all over again. So, you might be asking, what is... The simulation argument. The simulation argument. And I quote from the article, begins by noticing several present-day trends in technology, such as the development of virtual reality and the mapping of the human brain. The argument ends by proposing that we are, in fact, digital beings living in a vast computer simulation created by our far future descendants. That's funny. I have that written down in my book. So... You left out the best part, though. What's the best part? When he goes on to say that, that a lot of people have asked that question, but usually they're high. Oh, okay. I thought that was... Uh... Well, it, says, it also says, recently a number of philosophers, futurists, science fiction writers, and technologists, people who share a near religious faith in technological progress, have come to believe that the simulation argument is not just plausible, but inescapable. Which reminds me of Dr. Strangelove a little bit. Or it's an updated uh, Twilight Zone, like we were talking about. Yes. Same. Kind That's of just, true. Just, you know, that was the low tech. It's the high tech. Maybe the analog versus the digital. <laughs> if, we were, if we were to zoom out from the shoebox. Right. And out comes the hand. Yeah. Uh, so are, what's your level of, I know you're going to have a brilliant, salient point here. But Eventually. I'm, cu- I'm curious about like virtual reality. Like I, I have a cursory knowledge of it. Uh-huh. I have not. My last experience with video games was like Atari and Pong. Where yeah. do you stand on this? I would say like you're a technologist. I feel like you're a futurist. <laughs> what made you, like how did you stumble onto this? This article's like a year. And yes. Okay. Fast forward to 2017. In an article in the New Yorker, dated February 27, 2017, did the Oscars just prove that we are living in a computer simulation? That, okay, yeah. Okay. I saw that. Now, what's hilarious about this is they take the, um, the Oscar screw-up with the best picture. Right. And they say, was that a glitch in the program? Did we witness firsthand a glitch in the program? To where it was then corrected in our simulation in which we live. That's that's deep, man. Okay. Or is that just human error with like hoops, wrong envelope? Get ready. They said that combined with the Falcons choking in the uh, second half of the Super Bowl, they're thinking that that might also be evidence of a glitch in the system. And wait for it. The election of Donald Trump. Where does Scientology figure into all this? There's no, not a mention of Scientology, okay. interestingly enough. Mm. See, I, that was interesting to get to the end of the first article when it did touch on that. 
matter of you know like transcendence and uh, belief and there's a great quote transcendence enforces humility uh, you have the text in front of you I don't but uh, that last paragraph I mean is it a computer simulation or for some people is that a faith yeah a religious belief right. system you know like whatever you, that's where it's like wow is it just like insert a yes. different name which so because yeah they were saying how it gives uh, you know atheists some, some how have you know have something to grasp a hold of. So Ricky Gervais, I don't know if he's embraced this yet, but oh gosh, maybe this is his. I mean, it is fascinating. I just I have to say, like I, um, I haven't thought about it to that to this level. Have you thought about this? Yes. All oh, right, you, you have. Yeah, yeah. And it goes with your conspiracy theory. <laughs> but, I, but but what amazes me most is that I can read this article in the New Yorker. Yeah. And like you just said, could, could that just be human error? Or you know, the where I'm going to go where I, I'm cynical is like I still think, or oh, was that a ratings uh, stunt? And maybe you know, maybe Warren Bay, you know, again, was they, he in on it? Maybe even? they didn't. Well, they're all he did they, look they like he was actors. They are. They've won Academy Awards and and Oscars. But uh, or was that just a way? You know, they were talking about how they they there was an article in the New Yorker prior to the Oscars about all the efforts they were making to be more inclusive and to, and to boost ratings. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh, you got, you know, you got yeah, a lot of hits. ratings. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, publicity's there's no bad publicity, right? But that we could jump to the computer simulation argument versus... I mean, that just blows uh, my mind. Yeah. I mean, that's why I'm no futurist, obviously. <laughs> the, uh, the simulation recently took us to Houston, Texas. And we got a lot of things... We didn't really... It was all virtual. I don't... Were we there? We had multiple monitors going. <laughs> so we were on... Um, we were on a trip with other supporters... Of Atlanta Contemporary. This sounds like the way you would describe it if you were like in customs, like waiting in, in some kind of hostile countries. And like, explain the purpose of your trip. We're with some supporters of. It's so official, the jargon. How often do the members of your group get together? Did you arrive together? Right now, once a, once a year. We're looking to up that some. I want to, first of all, a shout out to the Lancaster Hotel. I enjoyed our stay there, and I don't usually... That was a nice change, you know, from some recent uh, travels, but I've always enjoyed, in, in certain cities, like kind of the older hotels that have yeah. just enough updates that, yeah. you know, they don't have the, the hand-cranked telephone or the, the elevator with the operator in the gate. And those were not powdered eggs, <sighs> I don't think. The bed was comfortable, but... More importantly, here it comes the shower. The shower. I had to back off on that shower. Did you really? It had a little too much power. I was impressed with the shower. It's been a while since I enjoyed Did you do a the hotel shower. No, but I heard they were the road luxurious. Was, it was pretty robust. Yeah, it was a little big for someone my size. I kind of looked like an emperor or something. <laughs> Did you really? And it was very heavy. It like weighed you down. It's kind yeah. of when you go to the dentist and they put that mat on yeah. you, and you're like, oh. But uh, that, you know, those it, seriously. If you get, have you gotten the fire alarm in the middle of the night and you've got to throw that on? No, I thought about that though. Yeah, that would be the robe I would want. I always think about like, where are my shoes? It's crazy, but I have thought about like, if you have to just like run out of this place, like, what are you grabbing? Yeah. And if you're not coming back, and also like when it's cold out, anyway. 
Uh, that rogue. See, that's where the, the brain fuzz onesie comes in. Yeah. With optional hood. Yep, that'll be that'll be, be available on the website soon. Footies. Um, how about the blackout curtains? I mean, I felt like I was in a special ops. Oh, we didn't have uh, not on uh, our. I was on a, you were on, on a special level. I think you got upgraded. Didn't I you? got upgraded probably because I waited so long. It was one of those nice perks, but uh, yeah, good. Yeah, all right. I'll have to talk with him about we that. Could have had a, a brain fuzz command center in there. I didn't get the upgrade. I did not get the upgrade. Um, but we okay. saw a lot of great stuff in Houston. And the Manil, which you've been to the Manil. Yeah. How many? Tell me, you've been. I've been there. You it's, were there recently anyway. Yeah, I was there in December. So. Was that your favorite? I, it's, hard to, it's hard to say a favorite. I mean, there was just a lot of good stuff. There, there was a lot of good stuff, but the, but one thing that stood out, and and I'm and I'm bringing this up largely because we haven't talked about it, and I know that you were unable that last day. You did not get to make the um, trip over to the drawing show that they have there, called the beginning of everything. This really stayed with me. First of all, if you don't know this, there is the Manil Drawing Institute. That at the time of our discussion right now, if you're listening to this in the future, or in another, <laughs> uh, in October 17, the Manil Drawing Institute will open its doors to the public as an unprecedented space dedicated to the exhibition, conservation, and study of modern and contemporary drawings. Just take a look at that. Be very nice. Yeah, very nice. But I asked a security guard while I was there. I said, "Hey." How long is this drawing show up? And she told me that it had just come up and that it was just kind of a nice little appetizer for the drawing institute opening later in the year. And I was amazed at big names in this drawing show. Rauschenberg, Johns, and they were always situated in such a way that they would be in dialogue. Sure. Sarah, saw some Richard Sarah there. And what was great about this also was that we had just talked with William Downs and I saw a lot of the links between some of the artists he mentioned. They were there. Mm -hmm. But you see the process, and it's particularly in a work like uh, in Richard Sarah's work. But I was mainly taken by looking at some of Pollock's early drawings. Mm -hmm. And also some Cy Twombly drawings. And then you walk across the street to the Twombly, and I was then struck by how the symbology survived both the early, you know, studies and drawings and then made it into, you know. So you have that kind of common thread with his work, but then with Pollock, those symbols drop off some. And and certainly with the drip paintings. Practically yeah. gone, right? So I looked into that a little bit more. Now, what are your first off? What are your thoughts on Cy Twombly? Huge fan. Big and, fan. And I didn't know if you were a big fan or you were critical. And I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing without, as I always say, like I got permission from him. That's right. Will, yep. From finally seeing, like, oh, you can draw on a piece of canvas with like a crayon or a piece of charcoal, or I mean, that that was punk rock to me and groundbreaking I mean I might not like some of the work or it might be pretty challenging like you know because it is shocking when you think about the time that those were 
conceived and executed, um, you know, there is kind of there are times like a childlike mm-hmm. appeal to them, or it just looks like somebody, you know, like like a child drawing all over a wall. But then when you start digging a little deeper, but uh, yeah, um, is that the first it, moment you saw it, or did it finally click for you with Twombly? I No, I think it, I had seen it. It's one of those like it's not wasn't like in the Hollywood version of the. Joe Musa story. Yeah, and the Joe Musa story with probably Gary Busey playing me. Uh, <laughs> you, uh, Nick Nolte. Uh, <laughs> I don't think it was like that, that Shazam aha moment, but I mean, because I mean, a lot of, like, quote, you know, modern art, it takes a while. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can think of, um, you know, de Kooning and, uh, or even like Picasso, like in the fifth grade, like seeing that and still clinging to, you know, this love for the Renaissance and all of that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. And thinking like, man, he's like Picasso. I mean, he can't paint. What is this? Why is the eye on this side of the? And after a while, I mean, it's like like in uh, learning to like coffee or beer. You know, like some of these things aren't they're an acquired taste. Yeah. I think, but like Twombly, uh, and there's a period of Twombly, especially that I'm enamored with. You know, like the ones that were uh, they're not necessarily one shot, but the like like one is called Nina's painting. Okay. And it's um, they're kind of along the blackboard type paintings yeah. and they're oh, repetitive marks across the canvas um, you know in chalk or, or crayon uh, but again going back to that automatic writing um, that those paintings in particular just blew me away in terms of again like they seem they seem minimal in, in like tone uh, and yet you know there's there's a lot of a lot of marks a lot of information mm-hmm. But they, they certainly welcome you in. It's not just cacophony. And I think that's where also Pollock, where he was so successful, like even those drip paintings, which are so layered, but there, there's an entry point, and you can move around in those things. And that's, that's their mastery. So anyway, it took me a while, you know, of, of growing and learning. Well, I was trying to connect, so going between Twombly and going through the Pollock and looking at these symbols, I had to go back into some some uh, stuff that I had on this and Pollock has this stint with therapy. See, he was wrestling with his demons, right? He, at that point, gets into the Jung Jung stuff and gets into the archetypes. So, it's not just about the therapy, but then you have the Jung and the archetypes tied with the surrealists and and the collective unconscious. So, this, this desire to mine a universal resource of images and symbols that have meaning. And it it appears that Pollock is was more in tune with the Jungian doctrine of archetypes. And it says here in this book You read these books often? Yeah. They're nice to have around. Pollock, Jackson Pollock by Leonard Emmerling. From the Tatbatashan series. Yeah, those are it's a quick little uh, purchase and lots of information. But it says, um, to a considerably greater degree than Freud's much more individually oriented theories of the libido, Jung's depth psychology seemed to provide an opportunity to create a universally understandable humane art. This hope, nourished by the Jungian doctrine of archetypes, was later combined in Pollock's mind with automatism as practiced by the Surrealists. So you had the Jungian influence, you had the Surrealist influence... 
And it goes on to say, yet during the period of his therapy, it was above all the art of the indigenous American peoples in which he sought models for an art that would be in, that would be independent of Europe, truly American, and through recourse to Jungian archetypes, comprehensible to all. So I'm like, all right. I go over to Twombly and read a little bit about Twombly. And I think Twombly's source was more archaeological based on his time in Italy and North Africa, right? Yeah, I think so. There's always like, there are a lot of classical references and columns and like Roman numerals. I mean, some of it's very blatant, Mm -hmm. but, uh, and and even in his titles. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I think that's, but going back to automatism, I mean, my favorite Twombly story is, I guess when he was in the service, he would uh, draw at night, you know, lights out. You know, I don't know if he was lying down or what have you, but I mean, to be drunk, like, you're not seeing what you're making. And it's evident in, like, especially the paintings I referenced, like, the, those series. But, like, again, that automatic, that's, uh, you know, have you ever, you ever do that? You ever? Yeah. I mean, obviously, in drawing classes, it's an exercise that most people cheat unless you do the old blindfold. But it's pretty hard not to, to peek and cheat. <laughs> and uh, you're like, what are we talking about? You know, in the 50s, 60s? Like, mm-hmm. That's who's doing that. There was a New York Times article, July 6, 2011, that put a nice... I'm just going to read really quickly from that because I think it wrapped it up nicely. It says, But as abrupt and even violent as his individual works could feel, Mr. Twombly was in many ways an artist of continuity. His raw mark-making could be seen as surrealist automatism, pushed to unprecedented extremes. Living most of his life in Italy and building so explicitly on the achievements of old Europe in his work, he thoroughly blurred the divide between American and European art that many critics and art historians liked to cultivate. Mr. Twombly even maintained continuities where abstract expressionism was concerned. Arguably, the crux of his achievement was not so much to overturn the style as to subvert it from within. Amen. Yeah, I agree with that. Nice way to sum it up. Yeah, definitely. Another stop in Houston. I think you'll agree with me on this. Another shout-out goes to Inman Gallery. Yeah. I was really impressed with our experience at that gallery. That is probably the best gallery experience I've had in a while. We were welcomed, and as a group, um, there was interaction, there was context, there was explanation, and I got a lot more out of that work than I would have if I just, in your typical gallery experience. Oh, I totally agree. Uh, you know, you could only be so lucky to have that sort of passionate advocate right. for your work. I don't think you can lose when they're, like there were some source books there. Uh, unfortunately, they're not for... Yeah, the public. I, I kind of wish there were either facsimiles or yeah. put the gloves on. Yeah, I'm sure if you were probably buying a few of those, you could look through them. But, um, but you know, again, I think that's what makes it personal, and you really start to see how the artist formulated, you know, the mm-hmm. concept, and that's that's a sexy uh, proposition. One thought again, which when we're going in and out of all these places in a day, and you know, sometimes you're burnt out or you're hungry or need an espresso. Um, can I get like an EpiPen that's an espresso? Like when I'm just, I'm going yeah. down, I need. Um, but I was thinking like when we were listening to uh, the, the gallery owner, 
as she was speaking, I was thinking it does though focus you and slow you down. What's then you're giving the work a chance to do. That's right. What it's supposed to do, That's or right. has the potential to do, but it, like we as viewers, I do think there's a role there, and you kind of have to be present. And uh, sometimes, what you know, I think we do resist. We're we're in a hurry. We're hungry. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought that was because a lot of times, you know, you watch people um, walk through, and it's just a you know, eh, yeah, like you're walking through. Uh, yeah, there was at least one sale that day with a potential for. One big one. Wow, that's nice. That's when you wish you had some wall space. Well, but again, it goes back to what you were saying. I mean, we were welcomed in there, and there's a good variety of work, though, as well. Don't worry. We tend to attract some some weather on these uh, excursions. That was uh, that was some heavy rain. So whoever's programming next time, maybe. Uh, Glitch in the. What do you think we're going to get? Like tornadoes or a sandstorm? Now, would that be a glitch in the program or just weather? I don't know. I'm... Might just be weather. On the way back from Houston, I was listening yet again to something recently that I'm going to name the audio pick of the day. Excellent. I didn't want to like this record, but I kept listening to it. And I even brought the artwork. Oh, good. I, I liked it so much I that like, I bought the CD. I want to listen. So how did you... How were you listening to this? That's a great question. At first I heard it on satellite radio. Okay. Then I streamed it on Spotify. And then I was so curious about the content that I wanted the full experience... Wow, a nice trifold. Looks like some. Well, let me tell you, my friend. And if you're wondering, this album is Bonavere's 22, A Million. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm with you now. It received some Grammy nominations, if I. And, and usually that would turn me off. I would not list. I respect your honesty. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that funny how that can. Um, but. The more I listen to this, the more I love this thing. Do you think... I have not listened to this at all. I do want to hear it. That's great. And I'd like to listen to it in its entirety. It, but is this more an album? Like, in other words, it is. Like you need to listen it to the is. whole thing to, quote, get it. Instead it of is. Like, six songs and then six were recorded. Okay. So it's more of the concept. In fact... Wow, this is some great artwork, too. Well, so when I really sat down to your point, when I sat down to listen to the whole thing... I was reminded of Kid A uh-huh. and the impact that that had on me listening to the entire work. And then I, I was actually reading through some reviews, and um, it, it wasn't just me. Some interesting points about this. Uh, the track titles are stylized and non-stylized. So what you're looking at on the CD is the stylization mm-hmm. and the CD packaging there. And then if you... Um, when you listen to the audio, you get all kinds of different. You might get the stylized. You might not get the stylized. Um, and when you look at it, you'll see what I mean. The um, interesting points to tie this into some past discussions we've had. Mm-hmm. A Lonnie Holly sample appears on the record. Interesting. Yes. But the thing that tripped me up the most about this 
is that on Wikipedia, it is classified as Baroque pop. So I had this, I was like, what the, what the hell is Baroque pop? Baroque pop is a, from Wikipedia, is a pop music subgenre that fuses classical music, orchestral pop, rock, and Baroque music. Because chamber pop was, I think that was floated, you know, maybe 10 years back. I remember hearing chamber pop. The genre emerged in the 1960s after pop musicians and record producers began placing the harpsichord in the foreground of their arrangements. So I automatically think of, in my life. Yeah. Right. I mean, but... The example they give here is the Left Bank's Walk Away Renee. Oh, sure. Yeah. Right? Oh, I love that song. Me too. The next one's yours. It's alternating picks of the day. How, uh, Ebert and... I can't think of their names. Siskel and Ebert. Siskel and Ebert. See, that was a glitch in the system just then. You've got to be careful with the simulation theory to not mix it up with... Um, String theory. Right. Right? So in, an, in, so in an alternate reality, it's not Siskel and Ebert. It's Ebert. The two guys on the Muppets? Yeah. The old men? Yep. Or Bernie, Ert and Bernie? Yep. Ert and Bernie. Ert and Bernie. <laughs> <laughs> I am <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Ernie and Bert. <laughs> Ert and Bernie. Wow, I gotta write that one down. Ert and Bernie. I am. That was a major glitch in the system. I, like, literally, that, my brain hurts. Alright. Connect with Joe and Matthew and find out more about this and other episodes at brainfuzzpodcast.com. On social media, share your thoughts and comments with hashtag brainfuzzpodcast. Now, go use your agency.